Yes, people, what's good? I'm Kinell, and this is Sinister Cinema, where we get deep into the guts of the stranger side of cinema. Kinell Sinister Cinema is brought to you by Forgotten Sons Apparel. Check them out at forgottensonsapparel.co.uk. Forgotten Sons Apparel is a York-based streetwear brand drawing inspiration from alternative culture, tattoos, film, classic TV and cartoons from our childhood. In our own words, if you like our stuff half as much as we do, then we like it twice as much as you. I'm a big fan of this brand and I love the guys who make it. They've supported me for years, way before I was podcasting. They supported me in my battle rap career. You might have seen me rocking some of their garments on Don't Flop and other leagues. I love Forgotten Sons Apparel and I'm urging you all to check them out at ForgottenSonsApparel.co.uk. Right, now on with the show. Yo, Parsley La. Canel, how are you doing? Safe, I'm good, I'm good. You good? Yeah, excellent. Thank you, by the way, for asking me back. Hey, no worries, man. Always a pleasure. Welcome back to the couch. As you can see, things are looking a bit snazzier lately. It's it's all been upgraded. This is what happens when you get yourself a really cool sponsor, isn't it? Yeah, ForgottenSonsApparel.co.uk. Check them out, of course. You'll have seen some of their stuff at the start. Unless you're listening on an audio platform, then you won't have seen it. But you know about them. But you should go and find it. Yep, check if, you're, if you're listening, yeah. I, I, I'm liking these. Have you, oh, done, yeah. have you done a bit on these yet? Uh, well, no, no, I haven't mentioned it. Flipping sister cinema pillows. He's got his own cushions. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. serious stuff. Okay, right, safe. <laughs> hey, so we're supposed to better get on with this whole podcast thing then. Okay. Yeah, so today, uh, last time, we spoke about 70s exploitation movies. We did. This time, logical uh, progression... We're going for 80s exploitation movies. Oh, yes. Yeah, how do you feel about the 80s as a decade? Um, well, as you know, for, for me, I come from the black exploitation end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I've really been... Uh, you, you know when you scrape through the barrel so much that you get through the bottom? Mm. We've got stuff from through the bottom of the barrel for you today. Oh, excellent. Some fabulous stuff excellent. coming up. Yeah, excellent. it was uh, basically uh, 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 the, the major studios had taken over doing a lot of the black exploitation stuff. Um, and it really wasn't paying people to do it, so uh, so it was quite a quiet decade on, on on that side of things from from my end. Yeah, yeah. There's a like exploitation in general took a few shifts here because uh, we're now at this point we're seeing the point when the major studios are like they're doing what they did the black exploitation. They're taking the aesthetics and the style and the yeah. genres that was previously exclusively the domain of independent exploitation producers and they're making their bigger budget versions of it. Yeah, and even even then a lot of these that that I've been looking at for you this week they 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 were bigger studio movies mm. on independent budgets as well. Yeah. They realized they could make these films for like bugger all. Oh yeah, this is it. Like you know, it's it's that uh, amount spent. The net profit on them always, always better if you're keeping costs down. And that because indi- they took the model and how the independent studios had learned how to do it, mm-hmm. and just used it to churn stuff out on the cheap. Very much so. Very yeah. Much so. Uh, I've I've uh, set myself, I've pretty I've set myself a couple of extra restrictions on this. Okay. Because obviously, obviously I'm quite I'm generally pretty horror biased i've avoided all the bigger uh, major slasher franchises right because i feel i feel like uh, that's a, because i could just do a whole list on them like and they were I kind of more whole... mainstreamy by that point as well weren't they things yeah. like the, the halloween movies and the, and the jason movies and what have you well yeah 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 i mean like uh 
Yeah, particularly the Friday the 13th. I could do a top five Friday the 13th. I recently got like the uh, uh, Posh Scream Factory Blu-ray box set of like every Friday the 13th movie. Right. And it, they, they had like one a year throughout the whole of the 80s. Like that's quite <laughs> some achievement. Like, And like bear in mind like at least twice they thought it was going to be the only movie. So like at the point they were releasing a the movie, they weren't planning on doing another one. But uh, as soon as their box office receipts start rolling in, they're turning it another one round in a matter of months. It was easy money back then, wasn't it? Easy. With, with franchises like that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay, so uh, we'll kick things off. So uh, what's your first selection? Well, I thought I'd start with uh, one that loads of people, I think, will have seen. It was the first ever exploitation parody movie from 88. It was I'm Going to Get You Sucker. Mm. Um, so that was Keenan Ivory Wayans. That was his first uh, movie written, first movie directed. Yeah. Um, and you'd got all the black exploitation heroes in there. So Jim Brown was in there, Bernie Casey, um, Antonio Fargas, who mm. you'll know otherwise as... Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear. Yeah. Isaac Hayes was in it, and Chris Rock was in it as well, though I can't remember if he hit anybody or got hit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were definitely in there. And the story of that was there was... Um, it was Gold Chains... Yeah. were bringing down the ghettos. Mm. And so, uh, basically, it was going after the gold chains dealers. Yeah, it was uh, sort of flipping the New Jack City uh, sort of format where it was like crack destroying the ghettos. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, of course, there, there's been lots of parody movies uh, of the genre since. You've yeah. got things like uh, Black Dynamite that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a much more recent one. That's uh, sometime in the last decade. Um, but I remember catching I'm Gonna Get You Sucker on, on late night TV. Yeah. Um, probably during the school holidays at the time. Yeah, and, I think uh, I was in school when I first saw it. Like, mm, it's, it's it's a good giggle. Yeah. It's 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 a good giggle and it's well thought through. It's got every single black exploitation movie trope in there and they're just having a good old poke at it. Mm. So there yeah. you go. That's, that's my first one this week. Nice and easy. Aye, uh, good stuff. Like, I I got fun, but I'm going to have to give that one a rewatch. Like, I'm a big fan of that one. Like, I remember the thing that always took my head was the platform boots with the, <laughs> the platform boots with the with the fish in it. Yes, the fish tank boots. Yeah, yeah, that 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 was amazing. They actually tried to turn it into a TV series as well a couple of years later. There's a, there is a filmed pilot in somebody's library somewhere that's mm. never been seen. Um, but apparently, yeah, they, um, I think it was one of the major networks in the States asked, asked for a pilot, um, got it made, took one look and said, we ain't going to show this and nobody else gets to see it either. Mm. I don't know, like, have, have, you, have you had a real look for it? Because some of these things do tend to leak, like... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably have a dig around on YouTube at some point. I mean, I've, uh, yeah. I've, I've re-downloaded I'm Going to Get You Sucker to watch this weekend because I remembered how funny it was when I was uh, putting my notes together for today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Flipping amazing piece of work. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one myself. Okay, well, I'm going to switch the vibe completely with uh, what I'm going for. I'm going for Ruggiero Diodato's 1980 masterpiece, and I mean masterpiece, Cannibal Holocaust. I've heard of that. Yes, very much so. Uh, Infamously one of the video nasties. Of course. Yeah, uh, this is one of the ones that probably quite right to be a video nasty. And... uh, you know, there's, there's there's some grim shit in this, including some <laughs> actual torture of animals. Uh, well, actual oh. well, actual killing of animals. They don't torture the animals, and uh, yeah, that's not something that can ever really be justified. But I'm about to because. <laughs> okay, then. Well, here we go. Justification. 
of murdering animals for entertainment. Let's go. In 1971, the Australian movie Waking Fright came out, which featured the actual shooting of some kangaroos. Uh, this footage was taken... Uh, they Basically, the film crew went out with some kangaroo hunters because it was like just kind of like a little pastime in some of the outback towns where there wasn't much to do at the time. People uh-huh. would just go out, shoot some fucking kangaroos. Anyway, uh, what you call it? So the footage of the kangaroos being shot in the movies is actual footage of kangaroos being shot. Okay. And this horrified the Australian public so much, actually seeing it, because if you weren't from these like, outback communities, you didn't see it, actually seeing kangaroos getting shot and realising that was something that went on. Like, uh, there, there was like a like moral outrage to it, which led to Parliament in Australia criminalising the hunting of kangaroos, which wow. has saved Fibonacci numbers, literally billions of kangaroos since. So there you go. Uh, killing animals on film, a good thing. I guess if you eat, if if you get someone else to kill them for you to eat them, you can't really moan, can you? Yeah, and uh, this is this is one of the ways in which that in, in which they kind of justified it in Cannibal Holocaust because uh, it was filmed in Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. uh, after a brief in, intro in it that takes place in New York, and they, and uh, like uh, they were filming with like local tribes people, and the animals that they kill on camera in it are the animals that those tribes people eat. Right. And so they were just giving them the food. That, uh, so, okay. So it was kind of justified during that. Like, And it became a thing like uh, during the uh, uh, brief but uh, crazy Italian cannibal movie psycho cycle that that's what the filmmakers would do. But uh, I remember Umberto Lenzi, when he did Cannibal Ferox, tried to do the same thing. Found out the, uh, Found out that the tribe he was filming with Vegetarian. <laughs> Got it. Uh, let me ask you a question, by the yeah. way. The guy that directed Cannibal Holocaust, Diodato. Yes. Italian guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is he related to the Italian disco artist, Diodato? I'm not sure about that. I should Google that, like. Because, uh, well, yeah. Because the... there can't be that many Diodatos in Italy round about that time, could there? I don't know. I don't know how common that common the surname is like, but uh, like flipping like he, he's what someone who's had like quite a lot of influence from going on to being sampled several times. Yeah, like. absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yes, uh, I don't know is the answer to that one, but I will look it up. Send us a postcard. Tell us. Yeah, may, maybe maybe I'll stick it at the bottom of the screen in a caption. Nice. Maybe I won't. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> Who is to say? But yes. Anyway, uh, going back to Cannibal Holocaust. This, uh, there's a lot you could say about this. Uh, this is one of the first found footage films. Right. And, like, the whole conceit of the plot is that uh, these Americans have gone out, have gone out to uh, observe this uh, so-called cannibal tribe in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out the humans are actual cunts. And uh, they went missing. Someone goes to find them. And uh, they retrieve their footage and find out what happened to them. Basically, they pissed the tribe off until shit went rum. Right. Yeah, it's a a very... like, this was probably one of the first ones to really use this found footage could see. And, like, one thing about it is it makes it, like, so, so real, especially with the animal murders and all that. And, of course, like, what happened is, like, Diodato, when uh, the cast all returned to Italy, he told them to, like, go off into hiding for a bit. 
So, like, you know, we could sort of, like, start the rumours of the footage of this cannibal tribe, like, killing these people okay. and, and doing all these horrible things, all the horrible things that they did. Yeah. Uh, was actually real, like, you know, just have him, like, kind of disappear. Uh, this kind of backfires when he is te- when he is taken to court for murder. Because <laughs> they think he's murdered the missing cast members. Yes, because there's very, very in. realistic footage wow. that looks like it's been shot by them and recovered. So, uh, like, uh, the uh, police believed it was an actual snuff movie. So he ends up going to court for that one. So we had to get like contact the flipping cast members. <laughs> but you know, flipping people don't have mobiles in those days. So it took ages to get in touch with him. He's like oh sending God. letters to like weird Italian villages like that no one's ever flipping visited. And it takes four days for the post to get there. But yeah, he got off with a murder charge when all the victims showed up in court to testify. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, that was a pretty live one. But yeah, this film. There's something about it, as I say, it's uh, uh, probably the best example of the Italian cannibal movie Psycho, which, uh, Cycle, I keep saying Psycho when I mean Cycle, but yeah, uh, that kicked off with the man from Deep River, and uh, uh, they they do these films that were built on the uh, Mondo documentary style. Right. Like, Mondo documentaries were something where they'd, like, go to weird parts of the world and show you, like, snake charmers and African tribes. Yeah. and, and different crazy things, but like, like, and it was done with the conceit of showing you these other cultures, but really it was quite a- exploitational. It was like, look at these weirdos. And like, mm. uh, with, uh, with like Alberto Lenzi's man from Deep River, what he does there is he goes out with the tribe and he, and, uh, and he he film makes a film with them mm. with a plot and characters and that like, and it, you know, you've got that extra authenticity because it's not, like, filmed in a studio or something. Oh, of like. course, of course. Yeah. So uh, Cannibal Holocaust was this was uh, Diodato's entry into this, and it, it's incredibly powerful today. Like, as I say, like, uh, the, I was joking earlier, there is no justification for, for like, uh, showing injury to or murder of animals on screen. But, you know, I do eat meat, so I've got to be consistent. And this is a film that is supposed to get under your skin. You're supposed to, you're supposed to feel horrible mm. watching it. And it all adds to it. And, and, and the visceralness of that adds to it. Like, the, there's, some, there's a lot of horrific things in here. Like, you know, when we talk to what happens to humans, there's like a, a flipping... The, the, yeah, flipping dicks get cut off, tits get cut off, flipping people get eaten, all kinds of things. Like, I don't really want to go into, like, too much detail of it because I could literally just burn a whole hour of podcast just listing everything hor- hor- horrible that happens in Cannibal Holocaust. So the con- the conceit of the whole thing, then, it's a, it's a fake documentary or the word I've just invented, a fake-umentary about these, uh, these savages. Uh... Um, that, I, I, mean, I believe that, the word already exists. It's mockumentary. Mockumentary. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always thought mockumentary was more a comedy thing, but that's fair enough. So uh, it's mockumentary. Yeah. yeah. The, the the guys that the guys in the tribe are they an actual tribe or are uh, they just yeah, some yeah. guys? Yeah, yeah. It was into... filmed with an actual tribe in Papua right. New Guinea. Like. Okay. And uh, it does show. Uh, it, it does show like some of their customs and that, but mm-hmm. you know they didn't really eat people. But like that's that's like a. Uh, it was filmed in very much this cinema verite style, yeah. like 
flipping like the footage is this grainy 16 millimeter handheld like kind of footage like you know this is something that we'd later go on to see like uh uh in the Blair Witch and everything that like got popularized after it this was like really the first incarnation of that like right and again another one of those that you couldn't get off the shelf in the corner shop when you went to rent your videos mm. yeah yeah uh like uh the video nasties thing like i'm probably going to do a deep dive on video nasties at some point because it's one thing that uh interests me quite a lot and I, I i think it's important to like sort of really go in full on video nasties because i'm seeing a lot of the things that were happening like uh i see like what i see in a lot of like uh attempts to like cancel people i'm not talking about people about like canceling people committing actual assaults and and crimes sure. and things sure. like i'm talking about cancelling people for like jokes and things like that like i'm seeing a lot of what i'm seeing with that is how the original video nasty scandals came around with uh uh not Edwina Curry. What was it? Mary Whitehouse. Mary that Whitehouse. Was yeah, yeah, Mary Whitehouse. So confected moral panic, basically. Yeah, yeah. By presenting information out of context to people. And, uh, you know, uh, by presenting information completely out of context to people who weren't necessarily looking for that content. Yeah. So, obviously, they're not ready for it. They're not... Re so, like, being presented with this information is shocking to them, and so you generate a moral outrage that you can weaponise to your own political ends. Absolutely. I mean, they even did it with the life of Brian at around about the same time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Like, you know, we're trying to get it done for, like, blasphemy and so forth. Absolutely. I mean, like, uh, yeah, you know, even things like Ken... Ken Russell's The Devils, yeah, which still isn't uh, like properly available uncut anywhere. Like, but they do have an uncut copy, right? Like, uh, what you call it, which has been shown a couple of times. But the the studio that owns it, they're just, they're just afraid to release it in case the fucking like in case they piss off the Vatican, ban, ban this sick filth from our kids and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I do feel like a a a, a bigger deep dive is needed. I, th I think I'm going to dedicate a whole episode to video nasties and all that but yeah like a lot of the video nasties very tenuous cannibal holocaust not tenuous this fi this <laughs> film is greasy like flipping you still can't get it in this country but the version you can get is basically uncut apart from like the animal uh injuries okay which is is fair enough i could understand why people would prefer that version because a lot of people uh want to look into this stuff but that you know, that, that is, it's very triggering to to for to people. Yeah, it can be. It yeah. can be. And uh, there is a website actually. Uh, I know uh, this is a slight aside thing. If you're going to watch a film with somebody yeah. who's sensitive about this stuff, mm. you can put the name of the film into. I think it's doesthedogdie.com. Yeah, and it'll tell you. Ah, yeah. Because uh, my girlfriend's quite squeamish with animal things. Yeah. Um. So even the most innocent films, we'll, we'll just stick it in that website. So yeah. uh, so she doesn't get upset. So uh, you can check for that. Ah, uh, yeah. But mind you, well, a lot of the ones that, like, something like Milo and Otis, like, you know. <laughs> She's not going to be lining up to watch Cannibal Holocaust, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I will say there there is no animal cruelty in the version that's available on Prime now. Okay. If you do watch. But yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's an incredibly powerful film that really does get under your skin. And amazing to think as well, with all the moral panic that went on 40-odd years ago when it came out, now anybody can just turn on the TV, open up the Amazon app and watch it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Like, uh, so, like I was very much into like the the video nasties mm. and like trying to seek them out. Like, I'd have to go to Rex and Beast Market and like see if I could get like hooky copies of this dude who used to sell like X rental videos. Yeah, on out out the side of a van, like, <laughs> which is a terrible way to have to get things. Like now, a lot of those same things that I I sought out, I I I got really good copies of from HMV in town. I could just walk 10 minutes from my house yeah. and just buy a copy that looks better than it had ever looked in the cinema. Like, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll move on for this because I could really could talk about this all day long. <laughs> uh, what's your next one? I've got a bit of a change of mood for you, this one. Yeah. Um, again, another another black exploitation movie. This one funded by Berry Gordy and Motown Records at oh, the time. Oh, I think I know this. Has it got a bit of kung fu in it? It's The Last Dragon. Yes, I love <laughs> The Last Dragon. I love The Last Dragon. That's fantastic. Can we, before we get into it, I've got to say, right, a black kung fu, black exploitation movie with a lead character called Bruce Leroy. Yeah. That's fantastic, just oh. to start with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, then, and an enemy called Show Nuff. Show Nuff. Um, and, of course, you've got that soundtrack album as well with The Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge on it. Yeah, well, which the video for that which film. also plays in full in the middle of the movie. Yes. <laughs> well, they had to use up a bit of the time they'd got, didn't they? It's yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, one of the Cosby kids was in it, uh, yeah. Kesha Knight Pulliam. Um, and Vanity, Prince's ex, yes. as well. She She's in a couple of the ones I've mentioned today. Uh, but, yeah, Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem. Oh, yes. Bruce Leroy was in there as well. Um, this film is so good. I love this film so it's much. It's fantastic. Jive talking, Chinese fortune, cookie sellers, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, The whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And, again, this one had a little bit more budget because Barry Gordy was putting the money into it. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing came out of his pocket. Like, I mean, like, uh, Motown were making some crazy decisions around this time. Like, just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, throw throw in millions at Rick James's cocaine habit. Like, (laughs) you know, the days of like the 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 fact of like uh, the sort of factory format where the musicians had to clock in and clock out. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, they're gone, and and like now we're in the eighties. Now we're in the era of extravagance and cocaine. Lots and lots of cocaine. Lots and lots of cocaine. So, like, uh, at this point, like, like Motown are doing some crazy things. And at one point, uh, Barry Gunn decides, do you know what Motown needs? A kung fu movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, they even had to get in um, outside songwriters from outside of Motown to come in and do the soundtrack album because yeah. they, they just couldn't get anything together. Um, but yeah, when they when they left Detroit and moved the whole operation to Los Angeles, that's when this crazy stuff yeah. started happening. Yeah, um, but it's those Hollywood meetings in it, like the Hollywood hodnobbing and the cocaine. Yeah. Six, six rails, and all of a sudden, vanity vanity is an Oscar winning actress. Oh yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. That's how it goes. <laughs> um, now I I do actually remember seeing this a couple of years after it came out on a corner shop VHS rental. Mm. Um, I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever seen at the time. Yeah, I, it's it is a pretty bad movie. But again, yeah, you, you you know if you if you're looking to make your money back, you're hitting the targets there with a bit of kung fu, um, a bit of uh, organized yeah. crime in there as well. Um, so yeah, it's it it's great fun. Um, yeah, it it doesn't really stand up as it it doesn't particularly stand up as a kung fu movie. No, but uh, and uh, what should we call it? It's it's. Not great as a movie in general, but, I, but it's, that's half the point, though. Yeah, but 
as just like this 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 kitschy, this kitschy time capsule. I just like it, it's just really good entertainment. It is a lot of half rolled up jacket sleeves going on as well. Oh yeah, flipping it! I, oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I keep saying it. I love this film so much. Like, <coughs> like uh, <coughs> I don't think there's a good Blu-ray copy of it out in the in the UK at the minute. But I've got a multi-region player, so I like. So I've got an. I've I got an import copy of the US release oh, because mate. I had to have it in this collection. I like I need the best possible copy of the Last Dragon. Like <laughs> it's great, and and even uh, I mean I was what sixteen at the time, mm. so things I I mean I was reading things like Smash Hits at the age of sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was uh, they put a lot of money into promoting it, but I don't think that many people in the UK went to see it at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, let, let's say as a, as a time passer. And as a a snapshot of what was going on back yeah. then, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I say, it has non Blu-ray, but I think you can like rent it on Prime. So if anyone wants to watch it in a legitimate manner, you can do that. The Last Dragon, what a movie! Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I think that's about as good as it gets on my list. But uh, I'm glad I've got one of your favourites. Okay, right. In that case, I'm going to drag the tone right down with uh, Howling Two. Okay. The Howling 2, which this one goes by various names, The Howling 2 on its own, The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, and The Howling 2, Stirba, Werewolf Bitch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the original Howling, absolute classic, fantastic movie by... Uh, and what, one of the ones that really put Joe Dante on the map... Like, after this, he'd go on to do things like Gremlins, all these we types of things. We chatted about him last time, didn't we? Yeah, when, uh, yeah. We talked about Piranha. Yeah, yeah. So this is it, like he's just, like he, like I think uh, Piranha was his last film of the seventies, and the Helen was his first film of the eighties. Came out in the same year as uh, American Werewolf in London. Like we we just had one really good year for werewolves, and <laughs> I don't think we've ever really had one since. Anyway, the Howling Two comes out, and uh, th- th- this is and uh, Joe Dante is not involved anymore. And uh, this is very much the studio trying to get uh, something together and make a make a bit of money off it. And like the Howling series like went some weird weird places like like uh, like most most franchises like I, I said I didn't include any of the major franchises. I don't really think the Howling is one of the major franchises even though like uh, the first one is so iconic. It's like they tend to as they go along uh, they start running out of ideas and the budgets start getting lower. So there tends to be like a, a sort of subtle, slow drop-off in quality. Yeah. With the, with that, the howling just fell off a cliff immediately. <laughs> Honestly, by three, we're, we're howling three, the marsupials, you've got flipping like weird kangaroos and shit going on. Weird kangaroos. Yeah, That's yeah. That's brilliant. And I, I maintain that the howling seven uh, is, is the worst film. The worst film of all time in any genre. Flipping, you don't see a werewolf till the last 72 seconds, uh, but you do get, like, 10 in full country and western performances. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You know, many, many years ago, I bought from a jumble sale the tie-in novelization of The Howling 2. Did you? Did you? I don't have it anymore, but I I would have been about 17 or 18, I think. It had rude bits in it. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was that was stashed under the mattress for years. That was. Oh yes, and there are a lot of rude bits in it. And Christopher Lee, yeah, uh, always a mark of quality, right? Yeah, this was also one of the first films that was uh, filmed behind the Eastern Bloc. Okay, and uh, uh, it was it was set 
quote-unquote, in Transylvania. We've got midgets with exploding eyes. We've got, <laughs> you know, we've got werewolf orgies. We've got all kinds of things going on. The film is just, like, out the gate nuts. And, like, the, like the howling, like, you know, it's... It's w- widely regarded, but it's a pretty mad film mm. to begin with. Like, but so like Howling Two, like they just went off a cliff with it. And I, I was watching it with my girlfriend last night, actually, and uh, I pointed out like there's one I cut. Sybil Danning's in it, and Sybil Danning, ha, huh, Sybil Danning <laughs> in the eighties, mm. flipping amazing, lovely. Yeah. Uh, now this was a film role that required nudity for several of the actors and actresses in it. And uh, Sybil Danning agreed that she would only, uh, what should we call it, expose her breasts one time for one shot. Okay. Yeah. They reused that shot 17 (laughs) times. 17 times. 16 of which uh, are, uh, what should we call it, in the end credits. Because we got a band called, what's the band called? I can't remember the name. They're called, like not Bauhaus. It's uh, Babel. Yes, Babel. Yeah, a band called Babel performing a song called The Howling, which they shot, at right. like, which they shot at some like a uh, new wave club in LA, like. So apparently it was a proper punk club, like, and uh, they, they had a lot of like you know actual sort of new wave punks going round in it, and like uh, someone gives Christopher Lee those like you know really thin type of glasses that was. Oh yeah, futuristic shades. Yeah, that was supposed to be a thing in the eighties. Someone gives Christopher Lee a pair of those, and he's walking around while this band are performing this song, "The Howling," and it's a great song. They bring it back like a lot of times, like you know, that really using music in films was like a big thing in the eighties, and I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that uh, like uh, they also play it like just over the end credits, where it's sort of a highlight reel, during which they cut in 16, 16, You know, we're talking like a three-minute song here. So this is sixteen times repeated. This same shot of Sybil Brand- Sybil Danning's breasts. Yeah, yeah. She kind of like tears her shirt open. There's like a right. noise, and <laughs> they're like cutting it in with the beat, like unbelievable. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's it's quite remarkable. And cutting it in with like sh- with like shots of the other characters from different parts of the films, like they're reacting, like all those kind of things. Yeah. Chris now you w- see, if she'd signed with me and I was making the film, and she said one scene, I'd make it a twenty-minute tracking shot. Well, this is it. She said. She said. She said once one shot on one day, like. But <laughs> it is what it is, like. The joy of editing. But yeah, the howling is just such it it they're trying to do so much in it. Also features Jimmy Nail by the, uh, the by the way. What? Yes, yes. Very early appearance. She's by, lying. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, uh as a punk in the uh what should we call it? The new wave club at the start. Okay. Who gets uh what should we call it? Uh him, him and him and his mates get uh uh drawn out the club by a, what should we call it, a sexy black female werewolf who, like, takes them to a factory and they all get eaten. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, we got Jimmy Nail, we got Christopher Lee, we got Sybil Danning, we've got a fantastic title shot and the same shot of Sybil Danning's Norks 17 times. With a track by Babel. Yes. So, we might as well just turn it all off and go home. Oh, yeah. You saved the best for that one, haven't you? Yeah, and... And midgets with exploding eyeballs. Midgets with exploding eyeballs, yeah. All sorts of things, like, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, are you going to watch this film, or are you going to watch this film? T- tell me, where can, I, where can I see this? Uh, I th- 
I suspect uh, I've got the arrow from Blu-ray. from what you're telling me. I suspect we can probably get it on Amazon. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Jeff Bezos don't care about polluting our minds, does he? It uh, looks like it. Oh, it's currently unavailable on Amazon. It's probably mean someone's leased it somewhere. Hey. Yeah, I, I've got the Arrow Blu-ray of it, but yeah. If I'll check could... my Plex later, because yeah. they've got loads of them on the Plex. Oh, yeah, Plex absolutely bangs for that kind of thing. I was going to pull open a, what's it called, a Just Watch, but maybe that's something I'll do in future. Okay. Okay, okay, yes. Yeah, so, uh, moving on, do you want to hit us with a third selection? Yeah, now this is one I remember being advertised as being in the cinema. In mm. this country now, maybe only for one or two weeks. Yep. It's, uh It's our friend Carl Weathers, oh. most famously Apollo Creed, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. Action Jackson. Yeah. Oh, yes. Very good. Very Aye. good. So that was Apollo Creed. Um, sorry, it's Carl Weathers is his real name, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, our, our great friend Vanity turns up again in this one. Yeah, flipping. making the list twice is quite remarkable. It like. is. It just shows you how few black exploitation films they made in the eighties. Yeah, that, 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 that's when. Uh, what should we call it? Like, there's a lot of talk about industry plants nowadays, but in the eighties, it really was a thing. There was a, there was so many there was so many artists where they really did just try to make them happen mm. by just throwing money and opportunities at them. Like. Absolutely, you know, despite a complete lack of ability in those departments. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this this one's a cracker because um, he's Sergeant Action Jackson, right? Ah, uh, yes, he's I'm familiar with it. Do you, want, do you want to just roll through the breakdown while I... Uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, he's always got a ready quip. He doesn't listen to the... He doesn't listen to his boss. He bends the rules to get shit done. Yes. Basically. Yes. Um, so, classic cop from that time. Um, he goes after a corrupt drug lord, basically, who's killing the local union officials. Um Everything he does has a catchphrase attached to it, like James Bond, but 20 times cheesier. Um, and as I say, it got a cinema release in in, in this country. It was, uh, I'd say, a, a medium to sort of low-priority release for the studios. Um, I'm sure I remember a TV advert for it. Um, but you can't knock a movie with Carl Weathers. You just can't, like, flipping. Also, like, great in Predator-like, flipping. Iconic. He's had, he's had like... He's got a couple of iconic roles under his belt, like. Well, I believe it was when he was filming Predator, he was actually pitching this movie. Mm. And they liked him in Predator so much that they gave him the money to go and do it. Ah, oh, fair dues, fair dues. That makes sense. Like, like I mean, like, a lot of... He, there's some really big actors that uh, uh, have never really had, like, an iconic role, but have just been, like, amazing actors throughout their whole career. But he's got a couple of iconic roles under his belt, like. That he is has. not to be underestimated. He has. Um, Sharon Stone's in this as well for about mm. half a second. Yeah. Um, if you find it online to watch it, if you see a DVD cover, it's basically a tiny little picture of Carl Weathers yeah. and a big blown-up picture of Sharon Stone. So it's basically... Yeah, she really isn't in it that much, and it's '80s Sharon Stone, so we're talking all the big frizz hair going on and stuff. Um, but I mean, as as and that was made by MGM Studio, which was a major studio. Um, again, as we were saying earlier, that's that's kind of in the the the, the genre of we can spend virtually bugger all on this and yeah. guarantee ourselves some good money out of it. So uh, Canal's looking it up now. Have you found it? Uh, I was having a look, like to do. do. Uh, yeah, it's available to rent on most services. It's not available free anywhere. 
But uh, yeah, it's available to rent on all your. They should be pro- probably be paying you to watch it. To be fair, yeah, I have got my thing set to America. But if it's available to rent, it probably is. Like, also notice there's an Action Jackson from 2014 and all. What a remake! Oh my goodness! No, no. This uh, what should we call it? Appears to be like a Bollywood thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a man meets his lookalike who's not just a killer of evil, but also a kind-hearted man. Together they team up to fight against a dreaded gangster. Sounds completely unrelated. It, it is completely unrelated, I think. Yeah. Oh, well. Unbelievable. Um, and, of course, in the end, everything turns out fine. It's all good. And he gets promoted to Lieutenant Action Jackson. In Lieutenant the final scene Action of the Jackson. So, so his first name is Action um, no, he's got a different first name. God knows what it is. But yeah. everybody just calls him Action Jackson because he's he's ready with his fists yeah. and, a, and, a, and a witty quip as well, you know? Mm. Fair dues. Aye. Yeah. So that's that's my number three. Um, again, uh, it, it must have been the cocaine factor that convinced people that uh, that vanity was, was capable of, of even emoting on screen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, so she, she won't get another mention from me today. Don't worry. Are we sure? I promise. 100%? 99. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. And I am going to go for Pieces next. Okay, I've not heard of this. Pieces. This is a movie that came out of the Slasher Cycle. I'm just going to pull up a couple of facts about it. Okay. Uh, this is actually a Spanish movie that's... Uh, this was a Spanish movie. It's from 1982 that was sort of like made to look like it was in America. American and there's kind of a bit of a giallo edge to it, but it's like pretty much a slasher, and it's set on a Boston College campus. Right, filmed in Barcelona. So they do things like that. There was a lot of things like where that like uh like European films do film set in America. So like uh you know they just read up the voices and like they just have like an American flag in every scene and all this kind of thing. <laughs> Somebody eating a Twinkie at the back of the class. Uh yeah yeah but like way more blatant than that. They're really overdoing it. Really overdoing it and like uh yeah it's uh, uh consists of someone is like killing coeds and trying to get and collecting body parts using a chainsaw, all kinds of mad things. It's okay, mysterious uh, character that's that's like uh, what should we call it? Obscured with a hat and coat, like you can't really see who it is. Like it's probably one of the cast members. So there's like lots of like shitty people in the cast, like because that that's the thing with a lot of like uh like giallo films, like mystery films, like mm-hmm. you know if you're going to have a list of suspects. If you want, you've kind of got to make a lot of people that are just pretty shitty human beings. I was going to say, you need a selection of bastards to choose from, don't you? Yeah, so there's a lot of that going on it. And, and this is another one, but this is a grubby one. This is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. it's proper grubby. Like, there's there's uh, so there's one scene where where uh, a woman is being, uh, uh, like, uh, I think like someone's trying to kill him with a chainsaw. Okay. She's escaped into a room, and the chainsaw's coming through the door. And, like, uh, the, the woman pisses herself. Apparently, the actress did piss herself, and they did just zoom in and leave it in the film, like... 
Okay. So, so it must have been pretty fucking terrifying to film, like. Well, yeah, by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a film that's often cited by uh, Eli Roth as one of his all-time favourites. Uh, there's a lot of people, like, because a lot of people associate uh, slasher movies with the big franchises, but this is one of the ones that slipped under the radar, and it's uh, that it's not part of that. That's that has to be considered pretty. That has to be considered as as one of the greats, just because of the cult status it's picked up over okay. the years. So when when this guy's got all his chainsaw bits of, of coeds, what what's he planning to do with them? He's just literally planning to put them all together. Like there, there's a bit at the start where uh, some child is uh, what should we call it uh, experiences something traumatic, which okay. would like uh, send him on to being a killer. Like right. And uh, what's called it? It involves a jigsaw. Some blood gets on a jigsaw, and and like something ki- triggers him later in life, which which I only found out from the Wikipedia page because it's not explained very clearly in the movie <laughs> at all. And he just suddenly decides that he's got to build a, a, a jigsaw woman out of parts of various murder victims. You know, kind of like, uh, okay. what should we call it, your man in Blood Feast collecting uh, organs uh, to sacrifice to Ishtar. But in this case, it's just because he's just a mad bastard. Because he had a bloody jigsaw when he was a child. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what you call it? There, there's some really, really intense sequences in this. It's very trashy. It's very sleazy. But some of the bits like, have a real tension to them. And it, it's another one that really gets under your skin. Like I'd, I'd say it's like what probably I I don't know I'd I'd I'd, I'd like to say it's in like uh, what should we call it yeah it's a top five slasher for me it's a top okay. five slasher for me and I, is this one we can get on streaming at the moment do you know uh, or, I yeah mean, I think so. I, I imagine you've got the platinum standard four K three D Blu Ray haven't you I I've know. only got a manky old but uh, I've, I've only got a manky old uh, Blu Ray of it but Goodness uh, me. oh yeah it's uh, on the oh uh, you can you can get it with uh, on the Arrow Video app which I've got which is right. flipping fantastic I'd strongly recommend subscribing to Arrow okay because they they're, they're brilliant like they've got really good horror really good kung fu and all that get. I get the app itself, but you can get it via, but you can get it via the, by the, the Prime streamers. channel, right. the Prime channel. So is that something you'd pay to rent with Prime? I guess with it with uh, those. Well, because they've got their Arrow Video channel on Prime, so you can oh just right, do the, okay. So you could do like a seven day free trial and watch it that way. Okay. So yeah, pieces like that. It's it's such a grubby one. Like the whole aesthetic to it, it really is something that just gets under your skin. Like, goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have any many good facts for that one. So do you want to? Yeah. Fair enough. Well, this next one of mine, you'll probably know more about this than me mm-hmm. from, from what we've said before coming in. Um, nineteen eighty four, Black Devil Doll from Hell. Yes, yes. Which is, uh, it's it's an appalling film. I, I saw yes. it once years and years ago. The um, theatrical cut for this is 70 minutes long. Yeah. The director's cut, 140 minutes long. Yeah. So you can tell, I, I, I haven't seen the director's cut, but I imagine it's pretty dross. Yeah, the, uh, this is uh, originally well, one of the first films that was like, that, that was released that was shot on VHS. Mm. It was shot entirely on, on 
of video on the first sort of camcorders that were available. Like, I mean, like, technically, like, in 1982, we got boarding house, but that was, like, shot on VHS, then transferred to film for release. Okay. This one was literally made on video, like. And uh, it's safe to say it's kind of a, a riff on the trilogy of terror as Zuni fetish doll bit, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, I, I was reading, by the way, that the guy who directed it um, had to direct it bit by bit because he was doing a movie director's correspondence course. Mm. So every time he got a new lesson in the post, he was able to make a bit more of the film. Really? Apparently so, from what I was so reading. So he was doing distance learning by post. He was doing distance learning by post. Yeah. Um, his mate did the soundtrack and borrowed his mum's $100 Casio keyboard to do the soundtrack for it. Mm. Um, and, of course, the Black Devil doll itself yeah. famously modelled on Rick James. Damn. And put into a dress. Unity! <laughs> and when you actually see the film, it's almost as if it's a different Black Devil doll when they're moving around, because yeah. the director put his nephew in a dress yeah, and got him to do the walking around stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, we're to, uh, is there such a thing as zero-budget movies? Because I think this is one of them. Ah, yeah, it certainly was. Like, I, like th- this is a really important, like, uh, it's a, th- this is like, it's not a great movie, but it's important for what it is in terms of, like, this really is like a sort of turning point. The do-it-yourself ethos of it. Yeah, of it in all. independent punk shot on video uh, cinema in the 80s, like, you know, which, which moves on to things like, like Bloodhook and Things and... All these kind of uh, films. Like, okay. Like, like there's very much a, a cult following, like, and there's an appreciation for it that uh, goes through to this day. Like, uh, I recently, uh, I recently, I haven't actually done the review for it, like, so this isn't a review show, but uh, I was contacted by the director of a film called, like, Psycho Ape. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Who uh, uh, sent me a review copy, and I flip and check that out, and like, there's still films that like uh, are sort of made with a kind of like love for the aesthetic and the yes. sort of off the wall nature of these like early shot on video things. Fantastic, and I mean, it's basically a a, a, a black soft porn horror flick. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? I mean, there's 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 a lot of shall we say um, dubious dialogue going on in there. Yeah, it it, it is it is. It is soft porn, like, and like this. Well, there's your answer. But like, soft porn was also like it's it's worth tying that in. It's, it's worth noting that that does kind of tie in with the uh, shot on video independent movie c- movement. Well, absolutely, because, because there, there was a lot of directors that would get into porn and and like uh, they'd make their little horror films on the side, like. I mean, like, that's a tradition that goes back to, like, Wes Craven, like... Mm, of course. And it, it became so much cheaper for everybody to do it when, when, when the VHS camcorders came out, didn't it? Yeah, and then, you, then, you've, got, then you've got people who were, uh, like, like you'd make the porn parodies, the horror movies, like, uh, mm. the erotic witch projects and all that, like, and <laughs> all this kind of thing. And, like, the, the directors who make them, like, most of them come from, like, are doing it from a real love of the genre, but, like, by making porn films, which they will be able to sell, they could kind of, like, fund their own little projects, and they could also bring their own little influence into, uh, in, <laughs> into this moss. Yeah, and, of course, those those porn parodies of, uh, of horror movies and other movies, they were big business for a while, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Kind of killed off by the internet, whereas like now, whereas like now, uh, like porn's like defined by search terms. It is, yeah, search yeah. terms and uh, mobile phones. 
Yeah, uh, the the uh, so so that element of the art has kind of gone forever. But yeah, someone will bring it back. Yeah, so so like uh, Black Devil Doll from Hell. Like, what? How were you introduced to this? Um, I I think this was a a late night drunken Saturday night as mm. a young a much younger guy around at somebody's house and digging out a VHS and going, "You guys have got to see this." Yeah, and then sitting there for an hour and ten minutes and just falling about laughing. Yeah. Um, nothing. I mean, it, it didn't feel at the time like there was anything serious about it at all. And I've probably only thought about the, the film maybe three times since mm. I saw it back in the day. Um, but of course, when I was looking through a list of eighties black exploitation films to bring you today, yeah, it, it jumped off the page. Is right. That is little right. squat nephew in a dress wandering about. Yep. I wonder how he got on in life after that. <laughs> Now, that's something I'd, I'd like to see a where are they now about, for real, for real. That's something, in it? It would be. Yeah. It would be. So what's your next one? Okay, uh, fourth selection. I'm going to go for uh, Rog Corman funded. Uh, this is an AIP film. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Humanoids from the Deep. I've heard of... I might have even seen a VHS case for this. Yeah. Back in the day. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a riff on the eco-terror things like Piranha, because obviously, like, Roger Coleman was doing a lot of that. And also, the, and there's a there's a bit of a, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon going on it. Nice. But, uh, like, I suppose the central conceit of it is, like, what if it was Piranha, but with multiple creatures from the Black Lagoon who are rapists? Okay. Now, that's a strong setup by anyone's standard. I was going to say, you could go all the way to the bit where, and they're rapists, and you've still got a cracking movie there. Yeah, yeah. You didn't really need to add uh, that no. bit all in there at all. Like, it's absolutely crazy. It's an insane piece of work. Like, I think the, I watched it like a couple of times and never really understood it, but. Uh, well, there's not much to understand, but the last time I watched it, something just clicked. The way like this is hilarious. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so what's the basic story, and how do we get to the multiple creatures of the Black Lagoon coming out and getting handy? A fisherman and a scientist fight back when loathsome mossy sea monsters from the depths of the ocean assault women. I've got people in my street who are loathsome mossy sea monsters. Yeah, I'm going to have to stay well away. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's quite wild. Uh, a, as you can imagine, it's Roger Corman. It's an exploitation movie, and uh, you know, mossy sea monsters assaulting women. But uh, what one twist in it is that it was directed by a woman, Barbara Peters. Okay. Yeah. To be fair to Roger Corman, like he was very much like you know the king of exploitation production. But he did give a lot of chances to, like, women directors and women creatives, a lot more so than the actual Hollywood system itself. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you look at the uh, Slumber Party Massacre franchise, uh, you know, there was three films that came out of that. We recently had a remake. It's the only franchise, you know, uh, from Roger Corman that has been exclusively written and directed by women. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, incredible stuff. Like you know, so and and there is that stuff. I'd say my favourite, Slumber Party Massacre Two. Why is that one your favourite out of the three? Uh, because it's uh, the killer who has a massive drill <laughs> attached to a guitar. 
Okay. Is also a breakdancing teddy boy rocker that appears in dreams. Like, it's very, very surreal. This is this is one I might need to dig out this weekend, actually. Now, yeah, now yeah. You Slumber Party Massacre 2 is great. Like, But, yeah, another time when he gave a chance to a woman who wouldn't have been given a chance by the Hollywood system was with Humanoids from the Deep. However, when, the fi- when she turned the film in... He did reshoot it. He did have it reshot with more nudity, something the director herself was never truly happy with. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a very sleazy exploitational one, but it, it it's it's fun. It's yeah. vibes. It's 1980-like. You know, at this point, you know, uh, we've already had Alien. So uh, what should we call it? Sci-fi. Uh, you know, we've had Star Wars and that. So sci-fi has become like, you know, a much bigger budget thing. You can't have like cheap sci-fi anymore. Although Roger Corman I tried. was going to say, you've got Battle Beyond the Stars, haven't you, with Roger Corman? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he tried to keep you in sci-fi on the cheap long after it wasn't <laughs> a thing. Like, And also uh, you've got uh, films like Halloween and Friday the 13th, which have made horror more grounded. You're not really getting creature features like that. And, uh, you know the kind of eco-terror wave post-Jaws has kind of faded away, even though Jaws sequels would be coming out, there weren't really any Jaws rip-offs. So, like, to get a straight-up, flipping, crazy, sleazy, exploitational monster movie coming out in 1980, like, only Corman. Only Corman. <laughs> this is a fantastic example. I'd recommend it to anyone. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about Slumber Party Massacre too. I'm, I'm going to go find Honestly, that. yeah, that is a fantastic one that anyone should see. Brilliant stuff. Do you want me fifth? Yeah, man. Hit, okay. hit, hit, hit. Uh, now, my fifth one, there's, there's some interesting milestones in this one. It's, it's a film called One Down, Two to Go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was basically the first of what I call the black exploitation greatest hits movies. Mm. So in this, you've got Jim mm. Brown. Yep. You've got Richard Roundtree, who was yeah. Shaft. Uh, you've got Jim Kelly, who was yeah. the Kung Fu black exploitation guy, and Fred Williamson, the hammer himself. Mm. So you've got the four of the biggest stars of black exploitation. Yeah, there's like black exploitation expendables. There. Yeah, coming back to do another one. Um, yeah. And this was 1982. So as I say, this was, was quite an early one. There's a, a great one from 1996 with Pam Greer called Original Gangstas. Mm. which is great fun. And again, bringing that whole aesthetic back, but in the middle of the 90s. Yeah. And then walking down the street with their semi-automatic Yeah, I, 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 I think I've seen that. Like, it's, a, it's a little crack of that. Uh, but this one, basically, it's, uh, it's set in a martial arts dojo. So yeah. Jim Kelly's got something to do. Is right. Um, in in uh, in LA, uh, and basically they're finding out that these, these big martial arts tournaments are rigged by the local mafia. So God damn it. They're going to put a stop to that. So um, we've got Italian versus versus uh, Asian beef already. Yes. And the black community is going to sort it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the great thing about this is none of the fights in this movie were staged. They were all proper Kung Fusters. Yeah. And basically... so that That's they, very interesting. Yeah. Me. They're filming these tournaments at this LA dojo. Mm. And basically they're saying to these Kung Fu enthusiasts, right, you fight him. Whoever wins gets five hundred dollars. Yeah. Whoever loses gets hundred, and then you can go home. Yeah. So they've got all these fights that are, they, there's no punch pulling. Yeah. Or, or you know Rudy Ray uh, style yeah. <laughs> theatrical falling over a foot away from somebody's yeah. foot. These were real fights that they put into this, and oh, basically yeah. just paid the guys 
um, as if it was a tournament. Mm, yeah, which, uh, I, I rate that, man. I which rate that. Really fascinated me. The other thing was that Fred Williams. See, now this is the real version. The, see, this is what the real version of like when they're include when they're killing the animals that they are going to eat anyway. Like, yes, that's what you do instead. You. Yeah, pay fighters that pay are going to fight anyway. Pay some guys to beat the hell yeah. out of each other, yeah. The other great thing with this one, and again, mm. as, a, as a movie on its own, it's it's not especially appalling. It's not especially great. Um, but other than the, the paid for the fighting, Fred Williamson was the executive producer on the movie. Mm. And he's never named the bank that funded the movie. He said it was a European bank. Mm. He went there, and instead of taking out a loan... Mm-hmm. He managed to get the guy so interested that the guy said, my bank will invest yeah. money into this movie to make it. Mm. And then, you know, where they agreed all these returns and what have you, the movie flopped so hard <laughs> that the bank didn't get a red cent back mm. from it. So that's how to get your movie funded for free. Yeah. Definitely. But uh, again, so, so so this was the the first of the what I call the comeback movies, the greatest hits yeah. films. Um, and of course, the, the, the one that everybody knows, whether you're into your exploitation cinema or not, getting up to about 97 with Jackie Brown. Yes. So Jackie Brown bringing, bringing back Pam Greer, mm. um, who of course... Lord Almighty, Pam Greer. Um, Incredible. That was Tarantino's uh, love letter to black exploitation films. But by then, you'd already got these guys coming back, trying to combine with each other, trying to find a way of, of mm. cracking back into the market again. Yeah. Flipping excellent stuff. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have loved to have seen uh, Rudy Ray doing some uh, doing some kung fu with these lads. Oh, yeah, Flippin', I'd be fully down for that. <laughs> He'd have been in tears by the end of it. And that's uh, that's a 1982 one. That. So okay. that, that's my fifth. Right, I'm going to wrap it up with, uh, I'm going to take it to a zombie movie. Cool. It's another Italian movie, and it's from the great Lucio Fulci, one of my all-time favourite directors. Absolutely. Now, uh, what's called at this point, Lucio Fulci, off the back of Zombie Flesh Eaters, a.k.a. Zombie 2, a.k.a. Zombie, depending on where you, where it's, where you are located in the world. Okay. He's riding high off the release of that. So, at this point, he, he's like sort of like giving a lot of money to make more zombie films. He's kind of allowed to like go into a bit more of his own territory with them. So he creates the Gates of Hell trilogy. And I'm talking about the first one, The City of the Living Dead. Right. In which a reporter and a psychic race to close the gates of hell after the suicide of a clergyman caused them to open, allowing the dead to rise from their graves. Mm. Wow. Yeah, this one, again, a video nasty, like, flipping. I love all the Gates of Hell films, like The Beyond and House of the Living Dead and, and uh, House by the Cemetery, also very close to my heart, like, and I go back and forth between The Beyond and City of the Living Dead, but a lot more's been, I feel like a lot more's been said about The Beyond and The Beyond gets discussed more, so I felt like, yeah, I'm going to pull up City of the Living Dead here. Uh, this is incredible, this is one of my favourite Italian exploitation movies, and, like, no one really did exploitation movies like the Italians. Like, uh, the thing about them is, like, uh, you've probably seen ones you don't know because, obviously, like, you had the Spaghetti Westerns. Yes, of course. Which were all Italian. They all had the... It was all the bad dubbing mm. because, uh, like, uh, Italian films would never, rec- would never film scenes with live sound. No, that's right, isn't it? I, yeah. I've seen some of the old uh, spice spoof ones they did in the 60s. Yes. Trying to get on board with the, the James Bond stuff. Um, 
and Adolfo is it Adolfo Celli? Yeah, um, who was in uh, Thunderball is yeah. in a lot of those as well. And again, the dubbing on them is 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 dramatically bad. Yeah, it's it's it go but it goes back to Mussolini, right? Because uh, at the time, like Mussolini, don't know if you know this about him. Not a nice chap. No, apparently not. Not a nice chap and didn't like people saying bad things about him. So he was very concerned about the film industry, which he wanted to grow, but he wanted to make sure that people weren't making films that that were uh, saying nasty things about him. Of course. And, like, so, like, a government official had to be present when every line was spoken. Now, obviously... This is a fucking pain in the ass taking some government official to wherever you're filming, taking him with you. So record without sound, and then you just have the government official in the in the recording studio while you do the while ADR. you were dubbing it, right? So this is why the Italian movies never had live sound in them. But of course, then they realise, okay, well, if we're dubbing them anyway, we could dub them into any language. It also means we can hire any actor, even if they don't speak Italian, and we'll just get people to like speak whatever language. Just move their mouths a bit. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly that. So, so when we get the spaghetti westerns, they start making westerns. Just get Clint Eastwood, you know, no problem. And we got a couple of uh, and like the the two main actors out of this were British. It's uh, the legendary Catriona McCall and Christopher George. Oh, where where would we know either of those two names from? Because I, I can't say I've heard of either of them. I'll be honest, mostly these type of films. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Catriona McCall, I think she was also in a, a house. I think she was also in House by the Cemetery. And these are people that were moving in this in these kind of circles. A bit like the the the, the Hammer stock players they had back in the sixties and seventies. You know, yeah, that turned yeah. up in every movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And th- this film's like quite interesting because it's like it's considered a zombie movie, and there are certainly zombies in it, and there is some violent gore in it, like violent gore. Again, this is a video nasty, but this one has kind of like a Lovecraftian influence. Okay. Like, uh, you know, it begins with a with a priest hanging himself, and then uh, all all these things start happening, and it's it's got a very much a New England vibe. Like uh, he's he's really kind of like captured New England and like like that that's Lovecraft country, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, like I remember, like uh, I've I've battled in like uh, outside of Boston in this place called Haverhill, and I remember like going back, like listening to an audio book of audio book of uh, what should call it uh, H.P. Lovecraft stories, and that, right. and, and uh, noticing like, hang on, I've been to these places, like you know, like. So, like, to do it in Boston automatically, to do it in Boston and to have it be concerned with the unknown automatically kind of introduces, like, uh, this Lovecraftian element from the offset. But uh, Lucio Fulci, like, he's a director with a a career that spans many years. He had a lot of different styles. He turned his hand to Jalo and, and, like, he turned his hand to, like, even comedies. He even even dabbled in a meta-comedy commentary about his own life with the cat in the brain okay uh but he also did gore movies better than probably anyone and like he did a lot of films that weren't but he seems to have his fans of his gore movies and fans of his other movies and those two groups don't like the other ones right yeah i guess it makes sense when you think about it but but yeah i mean good for him that he was able to spread himself about and get lots of stuff made i guess yeah and uh yeah there, there was 
there was some crazy stuff happens in this. Like, there's one scene when, uh, like, the characters are being literally pelted with a hail of moths. Apparently, like, there was some kind of like not not moths, uh, maggots. Right. Like, like they must have used some kind of like 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 kind of leaf blower device to just power that many maggots towards them, and they used actual wow. maggots yeah. because they're the Italians. They're absolutely crazy. I mean, Dario Argento during the filming of Inferno introduced a whole species of a rat to uh, Italy. No way. Yeah, he did. Like it was a Japanese species because there's one bit in the film where uh, this woman's, like, uh, knocking about some sewers and he wanted to have some, like, rats knocking around looking suspicious. But all of the species that were available in Italy didn't look quite right for his vision. Okay. Yeah, so he had, the, so he had like, a uh, hundred rats imported just for the scene from uh, the Japanese species of rat. I don't know what they were called. I don't know what any species of rat's called. I'm a fucking idiot. Don't ask me for information on these kind of things. And, uh... A hundred rats did not make it back into their cages at the end. Oh, dear. No, they escaped and they bred like rats and it permanently altered the ecology of that whole area of Europe forever for like a three-minute shot in the film. And it's not even it's not even a film about rats or anything. So you're, it's, if it's, you're it's in Italy, just, yeah. if you're in Italy and you see a particularly sinister-looking rat, yeah. it's one of his. Yeah. Or one of the descendants, obviously. Yeah, quite possibly. But this is it. Like that. This is why Italian exploitation cinema was so good because uh, around this time, because they were just letting the directors go fucking nuts, and certain people really took to it. And Lucio Fulci was one of those guys, an absolute legend. Like he really believed in the concept of pure cinema. Like you, you, you should, you should just be able to sit in the cinema, just point your face at the screen, and just feel emotion. Mm. And uh, you know, sometimes that involves like eye gougings and brains being torn out the back of someone's skull with a fist, and all this kind of thing that does happen in these films. But like uh, you know, so it was all about the experience, like letting it wash over you, and like. Uh, making you feel emotions over such ridiculous things as having a script that makes sense. (laughs) Script that makes sense for nerds, mate. We just want the craziness. But yeah, like the Gates of Hell trilogy is very important to me. Again, these were video nasties. These were things that I'd have originally seen as like heavily edited Vipco versions. Mm -hmm. And like now I've got them all on Blu-ray that I just bought from HMV 10 minutes from my house. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's so fantastic to be able to really experience these things. But yeah, City of the Living Dead, that's the one I'm shouting out. Okay. Just just before we finish, yeah. we uh, you mentioned uh, Lovecraft movies, Lovecraftian yes. movies. I saw recently that Nicolas Cage one. Oh, Colour Out Colour of Space. Colour Out of Space. I, I felt quite queasy by the end of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a mad one, that. like that's Directed bonkers. by uh, Richard Stanley, who also did uh, Hardware. Of course, back in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. And he started doing the version of, like, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, the Val Kilmer version of Marlon Brando. That's right. He was initially the director on that. But, uh, like, he got kicked off the project. But he snuck on back on set disguised as a creature and spent his time, like... Didn't he make some kind of documentary when he went back? With the the Dr. Moreau thing? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Colour Out of Space, proper body horror mentalness, that is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) absolute lunacy. I was was watching a Nicolas Cage film with my 
Some some Nicolas Cage films you watch because uh, you want to watch a film. Sometimes you want to watch a Nicolas Cage film. And I was watching the uh, Nicolas Cage version of The Wicker Man yesterday. Oh, with the bees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what's it called? I saw the other cut. Uh, there's the director's cut and the regular cut. One right. ev- one cut has, has the not the bees bit at the end, and one doesn't, which is... Probably a better cut, then. Uh, well, it, it, it's just wild, because they still include everything where they spend, like, loads of the film setting up that he's got Chekhov's bee allergy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they just do it for no reason, like, he's allergic to bees, he's allergic to bees. Here's the thing that, here's the thing that shows he's allergic to bees. And we set him on fire. Fire. Somewhere bees, notoriously not big fans of. No. <laughs> yeah. It's true, it's true. I've seen, by the way, I don't know if you've seen the trailers for this new Nicolas Cage one yet, where he plays himself. Uh, no, I haven't. It's, apparently it's a, it's a very meta. It's something like the the unbearable heaviness of being Nicolas Cage or something along those lines. Uh, kind of like uh, and a being John Malkovich kind of almost, thing, yeah. Or? He's playing a version of himself in that. So I'll yeah. be, uh, I'll be, I'll be sniffing around the YTS website over the next few weeks to try and get hold of a copy of that. Yeah. So there mm. you are. So, uh, so, so that was my black exploitation eighties, basically. Okay, and that's my exploitation eighties. So yeah, uh, we wrapped another episode there. I reckon. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we get off? I've got, I've got no projects going on really. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm hosting the Queen's Jubilee Festival in Hambridge on the third of June. I had no idea that was a thing. Well, and I they, live in Hambridge. Well, there you go. You see, I've got, I've got a whole Queen confusion thing I'm working on. So I might actually come out dressed as Freddie Mercury on that mm. on that day. Um, other than that, no, nothing yeah. to plug. Yeah, I'm pretty anti-monarchy, <laughs> but I am like... So uh, am I, but they're paying. Yeah, well, fair dues. <laughs> I'm anti-monarchy, but, I'm pos- but I am very pro-drinking in the middle of the street and, <laughs> for any excuse. So. Abs- well, I'll, I'll see you there then. Okay, yeah, I'll probably jam along to that in some context. All okay, right, uh, yeah, I didn't put my plugs here, but uh, my battles have been announced for... Don't flop April Fools. So by the time you hear this, you should still be able to get tickets for a fiver. That's down in Bristol at the Jam Jar. I'm going to be doing a regular written battle against Reverse. He's one of my favourites for last year. I took a little shot at him during the shuffle battle. So I felt like it's only right to let him get his bars off before I crush him. Destroy (laughs) his soul. And I'm also going to be doing a freestyle uh, battle. With my uh, regular freestyle partner Boski against Er uh, and Mister Tongue Twister, but okay. the uh, but uh, it's a freestyle two on two. But the theme is it's got to be the same multi rhyme scheme, right? So we're th- there's going to be like one like sequence of syllables, and then we're gonna we're, we've all got to come up with a bar on the spot to insult the other one that rhymes multi syllabically. Like playing Simon, but as a battle rapper. Mm? A bit like, but you know the old game Simon, where you used to have to follow the pattern. Is that what? Is that kind of what you mean? Uh, so you might get, I don't know, a, a set of syllables that goes dum da dum da dum, yes. dum dum, and then you've got to fit into that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's kind of it. Yeah. It's all right. This yeah. is my non-battle rap brain trying to wrap my head around this. You see? Yeah, but yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. Fantastic. Well, okay. Yeah. Anyway, this has been Cinema. I'm Canal. Big up, Parsi, for coming. See you again soon. Catch us next week. Safe.